In this episode of The Interface, I talk with Richard Jacobs, retired director of distribution for the Amphenol Corporation. Richard retired in 2018 after working for Amphenol for over 25 years and really working a lifetime in the electronics industry. We talk about his history of growing up in the industry as part of the family business when he was young. We also talk about his affinity for city life and his culture shock when working in rural upstate New York. We talk about his leading role in helping to grow our distribution network, talk about his current training to be a life coach in his post-retirement years, and finally, I make him humor me with tales of his days hanging out at Studio 54 in New York City in the late 1970s. This is The Interface. I don't want to take up too much of your time. It is Friday afternoon. And well, I'm actually I'm in Florida now, and it's oh. sunny, and uh, I'm looking at a beautiful river and beautiful foliage and there's a little squirrel that's eating something near me so i'm not interrupting your retirement with this at all right now am i my retirement rocks i mean are you kidding <laughs> <laughs> so let let me let me go back to the beginning here so uh, a young richard jacobs growing up in long island right i grew up actually in brooklyn in brooklyn okay and then when i was uh, about 14 the family moved out to Long Island. So, but my roots are in uh, definitely New York City. Yeah. It's funny because I started in the electronics business when I was born because my family had an electronics business. So, what, what did your so family do? It, it originated in Radio Row where all the, all the electronics companies did after World War II. Mm -hmm. And uh, my company, my family's company was in the tube business. And that was very big in the era of, uh, televisions and ham radios and and uh, and radios radio shows television had just started so we were in that business and through that business uh, you know sort of I went to a lot of industry functions when I was you know 10 I like to tell a story when I, when I was uh, seven eight nine, nine years old I used to go to the business and uh, my job was to throw uh, tubes that were broken and no longer good on a wall and it would go into a, a big carton mm -hmm. and that was my thrill and i got paid like five dollars to do that or something <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so i've worked in the electronics industry sort of my whole life you know raised in brooklyn uh, and then moved to long island and you know that was a interesting place to live um you know i sort of still have roots there but you know, it's suburban and that was never my cup of tea. <laughs> uh, I'm a city guy. So right. as soon as I could, I moved back into Manhattan. You know, so yeah, the early start to the business. And, uh, you know, and I really enjoyed uh, the early part of my life doing, uh, going to family business and, you know, and thinking that I was uh, a worker, you know, because so I've always been a worker. Actually, I've always worked for companies where I felt like I, I was the owner of it because after I left uh, my family business uh, because of a lot of reasons after I graduated from college, I actually uh, went to work for my family's neighbor, who was Seymour Schweber, who owned Schweber Electronics, which was the grandfather of distribution along with Lester Abnett. Oh, wow. And, uh, okay. Yeah. And Lester Avnet and, uh, and Seymour Schweber were good friends. And 
my family was good friends with Lester Avnet and they belonged to the same country club. So I got to know all these folks uh, and Leon Natchez who had time electronics. And, and uh, so there's a little, lot of history and distribution from the very start of my life. Yeah. Geez. And, uh, got some deep roots then with this. Yeah. But I never, you know, but interesting enough, it was never like um, electronics was my passion. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't, wasn't technical. It was just uh, I actually graduated from college as an accountant. And uh, later on, I, I, I got my MBA, but it was never like, oh, I have such a passion for, you know, technology. Uh, I had a passion for business mm-hmm. and strategy. And uh, that's really uh, what led me to my career. I was never known within Amphenol as the technical guy. That's for sure. <laughs> you and me both, Richard. <laughs> but uh, but I had a, a good vision, I think, and uh, I think I had the uh, a good people skills, and I and that had uh, you know really went through through my my career. It, it's interesting how I came to Amphenol. Um, yeah, you're beating me to the question. This is good. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, you know, after I, I, I really, I, I dealt with Amphenol when I worked for Schreber Electronics for 13 years, and uh, you know, and Schreber was was bought by a English company called Lex, which eventually Arrow bought. But during the years when Lex was there, uh, I remember I was uh, just the acquiring company had just come in. They said. Uh, so what's the strategic implication of that? And I said, I didn't know what he was talking about, you know, mm-hmm. like strategic implication. So uh, I remember his name was Milton Grant. And he said, I suggest you go to uh, get your MBA. And uh, so I did and they paid for it. So that was really good. And yeah. of course, after, after two years getting my MBA, uh, my expectation was a little different than the companies for me. So I went off on my own and uh, became a consultant for what was called NEDER at the time. Now it's ECIA. And I wrote a, um, a market letter to the industry. And uh, it was really well subscribed, actually. I was quoted many times in, in Barron's and Wall Street Journal and the Times. And it was subscribed to by the financial community that was looking at this distribution. And it was also by the leaders of the distribution industry and uh, and yeah. uh, and manufacturers. Yeah. So uh, I really had a good visibility, uh, but I wasn't making any money. So, so what was the what was the market letter like? What what was in it that uh, got you noticed, got attention? Well, it was actually a, it was a monthly letter that you had to subscribe to. Oh, okay, and it, okay. And and it was um, it was it was uh, it, the good. Housekeeping seal of, appro- of approval is there was a co-venture with NIDA, mm-hmm. which was the trade association at the time. And I would do uh, market and economic impact on the industry. So I uh, would speak to the industry leaders and ask them every month, you know, how they thought the, the market was doing. I'd look at statistics, uh, the economic statistics. I'd, look at, uh, uh, I'd read avidly a lot of different publications and quote from them and I had certain economists that I really thought were good and I would utilize them more than others. And, uh, I did that for like, uh, almost 10 years. And, uh, yeah. And through it, I got very, very well known in the industry 
without making a lot of money. So, uh, so <laughs> fame without money doesn't work when you live in Manhattan. <laughs> so, <laughs> and what was I, this time period? Like, when was this? It was 19, I graduated from business school in 85. So it was probably 85 to, I joined Amphenol in 90, in 92. Mm-hmm. It's November of 92. So it was probably uh, uh, those, that period of time. Okay. And, uh, you know, I had other consulting gigs uh, in distribution, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't lucrative. And, and I decided that I really t- needed to get a real job. And uh, I was actually offered a job as an analyst on Wall Street for Rothschild. Uh, but after they made the offer, they went bankrupt. So uh, I guess <laughs> I guess there's that a sign. Didn't work, yeah. that, that didn't work very well. <laughs> yeah. And I had a lot of friends in the industry and I was reading the Wall Street Journal one day and there was an ad for distributor manager for Bendix. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, the mill arrow business in, in the city of New York. Uh, I called up a very good friend of mine who was the president of Capstone, which was Arrow's um, uh, Pemco or passive uh, business. And I said, so Wes, uh, what do you think of this? He says, Richard, you'd be great for that job. Mm-hmm. So uh, I called him and he he called um, uh, Gary Anderson, uh, who was uh, the head of marketing and the hiring manager at the time. And um, I, you know, and I went, I, I got an interview for the job, actually. I had to interview three times for the job. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened, which was really, I thought was going to be very bad, but it turned out to be okay, is that Seymour Schweber was um, friends with Larry DeGeorge, who was the owner of Amphenol at the time. Mm -hmm. And unbeknownst to me, uh, Seymour called Larry and said, I have a really good guy that worked for me. Uh, You might want to consider him for that job. And when I heard about it, I said, I don't know whether that's a good thing to have the, the owner of the company you know, sort of say you should hire somebody that sort of puts you in a bad situation. Right. But, um, you know, but it turned out okay. Um, you know, my last, uh, person that interviewed me was Martin Luffler Mm -hmm. and I spent a a long time with him in his office. And, uh, about two hours later, I got an offer to join Amphenol and, uh, that was the best decision I ever made in my life. I thought I was crazy going upstate New York, a city slicker like me. And <laughs> I, I, I used to say people worked under time because they would start at eight in the mo- seven in the morning instead of, uh, and I, New Yorkers start, you know, go to the office at nine thirty, mm-hmm. and, you know, and there would be six thirty for, you know, upstaters instead of working overtime in the afternoon, it would be <laughs> in the morning. So, right. uh, it's in the state of 88 was my enemy. Cause when it snowed, I didn't know how to handle it. You know, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I still have a, I still have a, uh, a badge that says I survived I-88 that, that, uh, that, uh, Gary gave me after the first year. Oh my goodness. Uh, People used to actually, people used to actually leave the plant. If they know I was leaving, they would go before me when it was snowing so that (laughs) they didn't have to be behind me. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of driving uh, on really uh, uh, streets that are full of snow in in Manhattan, at least. Um, well, not, you, well, you don't not have to worry about to, it. 
Yeah. Yeah, not going seventy miles an hour. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly. snow like yeah. they like they everybody does upstate. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. So. <laughs> so here you are, a, a guy who loves the city, didn't even really like the suburbs all that much, and you come up here to Sydney, New York, where. Um, I guess it's, it's very rural, um, you know, population at the time, early nineties, probably, I don't know, maybe 5,000 people. Yeah. Uh, well, like Chris, that. you know this cause I you do. came from Long Island, the nicest right. people in the world are upstate, you know, they're oh, absolutely. Know, salt of the yeah. earth, yes. you know, but they're not going to love you right away because, you know, yeah, you have to earn their trust. A, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I learned to, you know, I mean, you know, the, the people upstate were just wonderful and it really changed me substantially because uh you know you realize that people aren't all you know out to get you you know uh, there is a there's a it's really a wonderful place to grow up i'm sure and uh, a place to live it's easy you know life is easy easy there right so you know so anyway so that's uh that's how i got to amphenol you know uh, it was very serendipitous and um, you know, and I, it was, it was wonderful from the day, from day one, really. You were in the distribution role uh, right away. And that's where you stayed throughout your entire career all the way up to. Well, actually um, not. Uh, oh, okay. I actually, I actually, um, about, about 10 years, uh, 10 years into my role at distribution, which expanded, uh, along the way, um, I became general manager of Amphenol Japan. Oh, that's right. General, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, uh, what happened was that, uh, the general manager was let go and I get a call one day, I'm coming from a, a, a strategic council meeting in Danbury actually. And I get a call from, uh, Gary and he says, you know, I have some good news and some bad news. And I said, what's that Gary, what's going on? He says, well, uh, you wanted to, uh, run Amphenol Japan. Uh, and the bad news is you need to get there right away. Mm. And uh, Mark Twafelfen, who was heading uh, our Asian businesses at that time, uh, said, you're going to hear from him uh, this evening and you need to let him know whether that's going to work or not. So I didn't have a whole lot of time. And of course, um, at that point, I was so committed to Amphenol that I would have done anything. And so I packed my bags up and I went to uh, Japan and I was there for uh, nine months, you know, it was a, a very difficult assignment because our factory in Rito, which is outside of Kyoto, mm-hmm. in 35 minutes, nobody spoke English. Right. So, uh, so I was trying to manage a business where only my assistant and the controller spoke English. Right. And, <laughs> and that was very difficult. Um, and, um, you know, and their custom was that no one would leave at night until I left. <laughs> So it was a contest of who's going to leave later. Yeah. So, so I'd wind up staying like, you know, till like nine o'clock at night and I get in early in the morning and I didn't know anybody. And, uh, I, you know, um, uh, but the good thing that happened and a lot of good things happened about it. I, you know, Japan is a very interesting culture and mm-hmm. it's a great experience in retrospect, but I became a global global services at united those yeah. couple of years because so there's always we, that perk we, yeah <laughs> yeah because after we hired ted namara who's still there today as general manager uh i would still go back every uh, other month for a week uh to get him oriented to amphenol so uh that was rewarding 
But while I was general manager, one fantastic thing happened. We had a, um, a regional uh, general manager's meeting by Mark Klopphoven. And I got to meet at that at that time, Adam, mm-hmm. who was manage, general manager of ASCA. And I was general manager, of course, of ABJ. And we had an instant liking to each other. And I had never been to China at this point. And he said, when you go to China, I want you to let me know and we'll coordinate. I'll take you into China for the first time. And um, and this is where you should stay. And then he said, and by the way, you know, the particular night that I pick, I'll get I'm, we're going to the opera with my in-laws and, and, and his wife uh, and uh, I'll get you a ticket. So we saw Madame Butterfly in Hong Kong wow. that night. But it was like the beginning of like, you know, fantastic uh, uh, friendship, um, which still exists today. And uh, and uh, who knew he was going to be the CEO? I mean, at that point, mm-hmm. you know, we just both both GMs and, you know, he, he was destined for very big things and as well. He deserves it. So uh, that was the experience. But in terms of distribution, um, Luke Walter actually gave me wonderful advice while I was in Japan. He says, Richard, don't give up your distribution thing for your G- for this Asia uh, experience. Stay with it. And Luke, true words could not have been spoken because it was the, really the right decision. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when I got back from Japan, you know, I had already headed up the distribution council for North America. Uh, Martin Luffler uh, at the time was CEO said, Richard, we need to do the same thing for Europe. Because in Europe right now, the Amphenol Limited is just selling Amphenol Limited products and not the rest of Amphenol in England. And Socopax is just selling uh, uh, the French products and not the other products. And the distributions could be the vehicle of selling all products uh, throughout the, uh, the region. Right. So uh, he actually came with me in my first council meeting, and uh, the council meeting was not with uh, the distribution people, but it was actually with uh, the senior executives of those uh, divisions of Zocopax Limited, mm-hmm. Tuchel, um, and uh, rest of Europe uh, at the time. So I actually led a council that Luke Walter was part of, <laughs> which is an ironic thing. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was really, uh, it really worked out. And that actually the work of that council, because afterwards it went to uh, the people that ran distribution and the work of that council, as well as the one in North America, is just, when I left, was just working so well, you know, so synergistic and really everybody knowing what each division is doing. uh, And it's probably... uh, my proudest achievement at Amphenol was, was those uh, those councils. Yeah, um, and ultimately I did one in Asia, which was much more difficult. But uh, you know, it's uh, due to the different acquisitions that took place and a lot of the direct mentality of a lot of those acquisitions. Uh, it was a little more difficult to uh, accomplish, but uh, I think we made some good strides after we bought FCI um, in that regard. So yeah, so that's. That's what I was up to. Uh. <laughs> so as far as distribution, um, just just in general, and, and distribution and the importance of 
our distribution partnerships with the success of Amphenol over the years and how you helped develop that. Um, and, and I know you talked about internally. What about with the actual uh, distribution partners uh, specifically? And, and you don't need to go into each one or anything like that, but just your relationships with them and how you developed them over the years to help both Amphenol grow and help them grow as well. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I, you know, the best, uh, the best sales, salesperson in the company is our results. So uh, when we talk to the presidents and CEOs of our companies and they see our quarterly results every quarter beating and uh, growing, they say to their team, why aren't we doing more business with Amphenol? Mm -hmm. So uh, So it made your job easy easy in a sense. Oh, and then you have a, you know, a a CEO like Adam that's, you know, just, uh, you know, he speaks from the heart and, you know, and you can see the passion of the company. And, you know, I just adopted that passion. You know, I viewed, you know, I worked for my family. I worked for my very good friend's family and I worked for myself. So going to work at Amphenol was sort of like, it's mine. You know, I didn't ever thought of it as just a job. I thought of it as a, you know, this is this is this is my home. This is where I want to work and make a difference. So it was easy having a company like Amphenol that, you know, that really, you know, has a heart. You know, I always say yeah. it's like a Fortune 500 company with a heart. You mm-hmm. know, how do you find that? Well, it's the culture and the culture is so deep. And when you have the passion and you're speaking to any of the senior executives of any of the companies and you, t- and you, you talk the talk of what Amphenol is and and and. And, and you truly believe it with genuineness, uh, they get it and they want a part of it. And so, yeah, there's issues that come up from time to time. Of course. Yeah. It was, it's recognizing an opportunity and it's seizing upon it and connecting dots. I used to say our job is connecting dots, you know, people with opportunities and that splashes into, you know, business and, if you're genuine and, and ethical, which our company is, you know, we're a pleasure to do business with. You know, we're not always we're not always going to be easy because we're high performance, but we're fair and um, and we have high integrity. So, you know, that's the formula. So, you know, to head distribution for Amphenol Corporation is, you know, kind of in that respect, an easy job because. You know, you you're working with a, a structure that you can be proud of, you know, and that has no, uh, you know, has no scandals, and you know, it's a it's a it's an upright company. Mm-hmm. You know, I've grown to, you know, just really, you know, appreciate it, love it, and uh, and it'll always be a part of me. You know, I still, you know, certainly, you know, for example, the passing of Diana really saddened me mm-hmm. terribly. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't work with Diana like uh, like some of the others did ever on a day to day basis. But whenever I saw her, she had a smile, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, you know, she's part of the family. And it's a big company, 75,000 employees or whatever. But it feels like a family company. It right. really, really does. Are you talking about Diana and, Reardon, who was the, the former yeah, chief Reardon. financial officer. Right. And um, and, uh, and on the board, yes. Right, right. But when I knew her, she was a controller. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, she grew in the company and, uh, 
And, you know, and so, you know, this is what happens, you know, when you're, when it's not just a job, it's a career and it's, uh, you know, and you own it, you know, I like to say when you own it right. and if you own what you do and you love what you do, it's not really work. It's, uh, you know, not to say it doesn't disrupt your life because <laughs> <laughs> I traveled 150,000 miles a year, you know, that was right. a lot, you know, and, uh, you know, I gave up a lot for, you know, my passion, but, um, it all worked out great, you know? So, uh, you know, here I am right now. I'm in sunny Florida and, uh, you know, I, you know, I have a good life. You know? Yeah. So, you what, so you, yeah, you, as you mentioned, you're in, in retirement now and hanging out in Florida, just to quickly look back on, uh, on what you accomplished here at, at Amphenol over your, you know, it was a little over 25 years, I guess. What do you think was the, what was your, you know, one or two or three strengths that you think that you had that made you successful, uh, especially in developing the the vast, helping to develop the vast di- distribution network that we that we now have here at Amphenol, and just the company in general. What do you think you brought to Amphenol that was unique that helped benefit the company? Well, I think it's relationship would be the top of my list, mm-hmm. and that that would encompass. Uh, having trusting relationships that were win-win and trying to listen and caring. Yeah. You know, just honestly, just really, you know, caring, not just looking at it as business, but looking at it as, you know, this is a, this is a long-term relationship. We're not doing a, you know, a, a sprint. We're doing a marathon, you know, together. So, you know, let's make this really good. Right. And, uh, you know, and I and I think that spirit really was the biggest thing that I I brought because it enabled me to have very strong relationships with the leadership of the distributors. So when it, we needed something or there was a big issue below us, uh, we could resolve it in a in a civil manner and not with, you know, hatefulness, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know. But I think there also has to be a certain degree of agility when you do that. You know, you can't, you have to, you can't be rigid. You Mm -hmm. have to listen and understand that there are three sides to every story, you know, and, uh, (laughs) or maybe five, you know, and, uh, you know, and just be fair, which again is easy to do in a company like Amphenol because it's not like we're trying to, you know, get somebody, you know, we're, we're not that kind of company. Right. Uh, uh, people who are, like that don't really survive it after all yeah and uh not to say we're not high performance and tough when we need to be but we're you know so i think that's what i brought you know i had excellent relationships uh my going away uh was just extraordinary we did it at eds and not only did i have every senior executive sitting at our table with adam and i uh at our eds uh event but also i had these uh cameo videos from <laughs> those that couldn't make it right and it was it was very heartwarming uh, and you know i did all the right things i you know i i i gave a year's notice to uh luke and adam i felt that that was what i needed to do and i worked every minute right to the end mm-hmm. i i didn't take it as a um as a, a way of just you know winding down you and i talked about this before too i mean for, for years before this, and you had already mentioned it. I mean, you you loved what you did. It didn't feel like work. So it wasn't like this was a, 
a major relief or anything like that. And I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it was just like there was never uh, this was this was all great. I honestly I loved my job. Right. And I, the only reason I left it was because I felt like I had reached the age of 70 mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be flying 150,000 miles a year. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, get you know? It. I mean, that was really it. I mean, I, you know, if and I've said this, to, you know, if if uh, Adam or Luke or anybody needed me, I'd be there in a second for the company. Sure. I'm, not, I'm still highly involved, I, you know, in terms of you know, watching our performance and, and, uh, you know, I, you know, it still matters to me, not only because I have stock, but because I, I care, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know whether many people were as lucky as I am in terms of really loving what they did till the very end and feeling so appreciated at the end. I mean, I think, you know, there's, it's a, it's a fantastic combination. I mean, it's unbeatable, you know, and, uh, so it's, you know, that gratification, you know, has brought me to a place of, you know, of happiness. You know, I didn't have any regrets, you know. Yeah. So you've been retired now for what, about a year and a half or so? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what are you doing now? What did you want to do when you grew up then? And retired? Well, I didn't, well, <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do and yeah. I still don't know really what I want to do, but I sort of have a, an inkling. What I did is that I, I was very concerned about retirement because, uh, number one, I, I didn't want to be defined by my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second, what was I going to do with all of this spare time, not flying all over the world, you know, in Asia one day, Europe the next, uh, California the next, uh, you know, I mean, it would be, it was very hard. So I made a decision that I wanted to, um, always wanted to help people. And, uh, you know, very much I was a mentor at Amphenol uh, to a lot of people, um, which was my pleasure. Uh, so I decided that I would take uh, life coach classes. So I, I, I retired in June 30th, and I, my first class was July 14th, and it was a five-month course. So I did that for the first five months. And, you know, I met a different type of people. You know, they're very touchy-feely, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, very different than business. Uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. And I, I was never doing it because I wanted to uh, put a shingle out to make money. I wanted to do it so I could have the skills to, you know, help people, mm-hmm. launch them, help launch them. And it, and I'm doing that with a lot of people. Uh, so, uh, but not anything formal, but, you know, in conversations and so on. Yeah. You know, the, the conversations tend to be deeper. It's not how's the weather. It's, you know, you know, what are you up to and what do you want to do in your life five years from now? You know, type of thing. <laughs> it's a little different conversation with people, which has been very gratifying. So you enjoy the it. other. Yeah. The other yeah. thing that I did is that um, at, at one of these uh, classes, the trainer said, you know, I know of this this 10 uh, month program. It's a personal leadership program. It's uh, it's it's for retreats a year in Sonoma. It could be in Sonoma or in Spain or, or I guess, North Carolina. And, uh, but I picked California. And so it's four retreats and it's uh, about your leader within. And it can apply to business. It can apply to your personal growth. It can apply to anything. And uh, so I've been through now three retreats 
uh, they're all in Sonoma. It's the same 25 people that mm-hmm. are a part of it each time with a leader, uh, trainers that, you know, sort of have the structure behind it. And so I'm about to go to my last one uh, the second week of December. And that's been extremely gratifying because it really brought me together in exactly what I want to do in my life and what matters to me and putting away some old stories of what matters to me and getting new ones Mm -hmm. and uh, and new ones that are more about really what I want rather than what I think I want. You know, so that's been very that's been extremely gratifying. And uh, because of that, I've just uh, gotten on the board of uh, CUNY CC, uh, the city school system. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And this board is about is is working with uh, students in giving them skills after school to work towards their careers right. and what they want to do. So I'm on the council that's uh, guiding the, some of these students that sign up with uh, lectures, panel discussions, and uh, uh, some uh, person-to-person mentoring, if I want to do that, uh, internships, those kind of things. So, uh, so that's what I'm sort of doing more formally. But less formally, I'm still traveling. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, on your on my own, yeah. I'm, and on my and on my money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thoroughly spoiled by Amphenol, so uh, yeah. Uh, but it's good. It's it's all good. I'm always busy. I'm. Uh, I thought I'd be bored. It's very rare that I'm bored. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, because you know, secretly myself and and a couple others have always been fascinated about your days hanging out at Studio 54 in New York. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. Oh, God. (laughs) You don't have to go into detail as far as the debauchery, but just you enjoyed yourself, I'm assuming. Well, I was very fortunate because um, I I knew people that knew people. Mm -hmm. So um, I was actually interviewed to uh, become a member of Studio 54. And in the interview, they asked, you know, what clubs you're going to, blah, blah, blah. And I got a membership card. But what happened is that there was a class action suit that happened with people with membership cards because they didn't let people with membership. It got so popular that they wouldn't let people in with membership cards. But they said that you could get your uh, $100 back at the time. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. uh, If you if you wanted to give your card back. But if you kept your card, you could get a discount to get in. So I never had trouble getting in because I I knew people that uh, were regulars there that the club wanted in and they saw me associated. So I never had a problem getting into the club. And it was really only studio was only only good for a couple of years. Yeah. Only April 77 to uh, 1980 was the last hurrah, really. and then the owners got put in jail and, yeah. you know, the club was never really the same. Yeah. But yeah, it was great. I mean, celebrities all over the place. And Was it know, as it, crazy as all of the stories and documentaries allude to? I, you know what? I don't know because I didn't really, you know, I mean, it was crazy. Uh, it was just a fun dance place because it was a lot of characters. Yeah. There were a lot of, it, it, there were a lot of famous people. There were a lot of, so when you got in, it was like you got into this amazing place and it yeah. was amazing. 
Uh, I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> we'll save but... that for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, that won't be. I'm not going to do that publicly. <laughs> no, we won't do that for Amphenol either. But uh, you know, I remember asking you about this years ago, and I know me and a few others were like, "Oh yeah, we keep going and doing this all night." So, but what's listen... amazing to me is that young people know about it. Oh That's well, crazy yeah, part I'm not about that it. young. I'm not but, talking about you, but yeah. I'm talking about. You know, if I, if I, you know, mention it to somebody in their 20s. Oh, yeah. They say, oh, yeah, you really? Wow. And, uh, you know, and I actually still have the membership card. Really? I should have framed. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, listen, funny, Richard, I really appreciate you taking your time from your, your busy lifestyle there in Florida to talk oh, to me okay. today. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I really had to. I really had to cut a lot of time. Out for, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you've always been very good to me. I've always appreciated it over the years. Uh, I'm glad we still get to see each other every now and then. And again, I really appreciate you doing this for us today. You're a good man, Chris. You Thank really you. Are. So, Thank you, Richard. Yeah. All, right. All right. Thank you.